Welcome to Tone Benders. My name is Renee Coronado, and with me today it's Tim Muirhead and Teresa Morrow. Hey, how are you two? Good. Hi. I'm doing great. So super excited for the interview that we have today. I missed out on it, but the two of you went and interviewed Oscar and BAFTA winners Bernard Guerrier-Pistrovel and Sylvain Belmar, who worked on Denis Villeneuve's Arrival. Yes. That is as much French as I can get out of my mouth at one time. <laughs> well, get ready for some <laughs> French accents, because they're coming at you in this episode. But yeah, Teresa and I uh, recently went to Montreal and uh, hung out with these guys at the studio, the mix stage, where they mix the majority of Arrival. And... Uh, they told us a lot of awesome stories that you're about to hear about the film and gave us a tour of the place. And it was, it was pretty awesome. It was a great day. Yeah, very generous guys with their time, too. So we appreciate that. So just to set it up, what was Bernard and Sylvain's role on the film? Bernard was the re-recording mix engineer. And uh, interestingly enough, that film started with two mixers. And then the other mixer, Luke Boudria, uh, his father got ill and he had to leave. So Bernard had to mix the last two thirds of the film all on his own when it was originally intended to be a two man mix. So that was a pretty interesting turn of events for him. And then Sylvain Belmar is the uh, supervising sound editor on the film. Nice. Sylvain gesticulates insanely while he speaks. So you'll hear him going on and off mic. We had him laughed, but he's looking over here. He's looking over there. And then uh, his hands are covering the mic. He's smashing his chest. There's quite a lot of editing done to get this under control, <laughs> but it makes him to be a great storyteller and he's really engaging to listen to. And Bernard, it was also super engaging as well, but in a entirely different way. They kind of are the yin and yang of each other. It was really interesting to watch the way they interacted together. Yeah, so we started the interview by asking them with all the success Arrival had and all the awards it won, how has that changed their perspective on sound and their life in general? Let's take a listen. I think, yeah, in a way, of course, it's nice that when the films are shown. <laughs> I did great films that nobody saw, so it's, it's a bit frustrating sometimes. I think, no, I think it's good. It didn't change for abroad, but in here, the local thing, it changed. Something changed with the, all those nominations because Arrival was, we had a lot of success in, in different festivals. We had uh, seven nominations and five prizes over those seven nominations. And also we had the different uh, awards from smaller awards, but I think that for me they're really really important like yeah. the uh, awards from sound groups uh, everywhere the amps it's the equivalent of the mpsc of of uh, england and in, in uk in uk and uh, so they awarded us uh, the prize also so the the way i see the success that we had on that it's finally opening up to the the talent that's here from everybody in, in Montreal, because we all learn from different people. I mean, nobody is self-made here. We all learn from different people and we learn from each other with all the sound crew in Montreal. There's no one here that in Montreal uh, from whom I cannot say I, I didn't learn anything. I think the ho whole community was very proud of that because we can say that in a certain way, everybody helped in this being created. Not everybody worked on the project, but uh, but like I said, just by working together and talking to and 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 this is kind of an opening of of what's ha has been uh, happening here for for decades, and it kind of opened up to to the whole world. But uh, I felt very proud of everybody in Montreal, and yes, of course, my father, but many different, uh, many more artists. 
with whom I still work, and we, we, we all work with, with them, and it's... There's also one thing we have to mention, we say Montreal, Montreal, but Arrival, the main team was from Montreal, but it was an entire collaboration with three other countries. So it's very important to mention them. First of all, Alan Murray and Thomas Anik in Los Angeles who produced a lot of different military sound for the film. The Foley team in Paris with Nicolas Becker, who was the Foley artist on, on Gravity, which is a, one of the most important Foley artist design that ever been done. And I think the first violin of our orchestra was uh, a couple uh, from New Zealand, Wellington, New Zealand, uh, Michelle Child and Dave Whitehead, who were the master behind uh, the heptapod voices. So Montreal, yes, but we were really, really had big colleagues that were coming from huge, huge industry. Dave has a huge experience into those kind of films and without Dave's skills and Dave's experience, things would have been different. And to mention again and again and again, uh, one of the masterpieces that helped the sound to be a success in Arrival was the music by Johan Johansson. Uh, it was one of the best score you ever can get for a sound design because sound design, to be good in a film, need good music. In a way, Johan produced the bass line on many, many scenes and the sound was able to go with the music. And to go again, we have to mention Joe Walker, the editor uh, who did all the music editing and also had designed few scenes, few effects or more like specific effects. So he worked with sound in his, in his editing. He worked in ways to, to allow sound to be part of the story uh, in the film. And you, you can do good sound, but it's so much easier when it's planned in the film, when sound is part of the thought of the, the way the story is told. And uh, in that sense, Joe is a... He, he, he had a good experience. He, uh, he went to music, to university, so he's very good in music editing. So, and he really, few, few scenes were totally composed by different tracks from Johan. So, really the people, Bernard and I, we really were like the leaders of everything. So I'm not, but my goodness, and, and, and Dave Whitehead and again Michelle in, in, in Wellington did something fabulous. So that's why it's, it's Montreal, yes, but with but a lot of, we were, we, without them, it would have been impossible. But when I was talking about Montreal earlier, it was not specifically about the, the six, it was more of what Arrival brought to Montreal more than what Montreal brought to Arrival. And I think Montreal is part of Arrival, of course, but Arrival was an important part of, of, uh, of sound in Montreal. And that was my main uh, topic when I was mentioning about the impact that it had. It's more of what Arrival brought to Montreal. It's, a, it's like in everything, it's, it's a teamwork. It's a little frustrating sometimes to be pointed as, as names on, on the list because there's so many people without whom it would not have been possible and Arrival is a... I was, I was happy when I, I went on the stage for the Oscar to <laughs> mention that because it's really a team effort. And the Oscar goes to... Arrival, Sylvain Belmar. This is the first Oscar nomination for Sylvain Belmar. So they say take a deep breath. So this award by far is a collective award. Uh, 
made by people from many countries around the world, lead by the Quebec team. Salut Montréal. And I want to say thanks to Gaspard, Clémence, Catherine, all the cast and the crew from Arrival. Uh, Amy Adams, you're a wonderful person and a profound actress. Thanks a lot. Denis Villeneuve, Denis, où es-tu? I love you so much. You bring love to us. All we need is love. Good night. <laughs> and sometimes people are really focused on themselves. <laughs> when you go to the Oscars, <laughs> they talk about their mom, their dad, and everything. <laughs> and it's like, they're, it's like they were alone. I mean, it's no, 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 not at all. On every part of the crew, it's like that. You're a hairdresser. There's a lot of hairdressers <laughs> on the film, but you, you hairdresser. So it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's an entire collaboration. That is the way we work. I think this, the sound of arrival, we, we wanted to do some, something that was more delicate that we can see on the main Hollywood sound uh, market, I will say. Uh, I have a huge respect for all the community in LA, uh, but there's a certain tendency in Hollywood film to really push the volume always over to the top. And we really want, didn't want to do that in, in Arrival. Bernard went for a screening of, in Los Angeles of different films. And, and you, can you talk about that as an example when all the films were playing for like five minutes and we had the lowest film in volume? Or? Well, it's, it's, uh, it's the, the sound inspection of the uh, Samuel Goldwyn Theater, which is uh, happening every year. It's an evolution of the, the sound bake-off that was uh, and still is happening in different ways every year. And I was, it was very intimidating because I didn't even know that that thing was happening or even existed. And a, a, a very good friend of mine, Gary Bourgeois in, in, in Los Angeles, just wrote to me, I know you didn't receive that inv invitation because you're not part of the Academy, but, but you have to go there. And so at the last minute, I wrote to people and I was invited there. And I actually walked up the steps going there with Mark Mangini, not knowing that I was with Mark Mangini <laughs> at this moment. And, and we spoke and he, he was just like the day before um, he got the job for, for Blade Runner. So it was an interesting conversation. He sat right on the side of me and I was being surrounded with all the, the best uh, in Hollywood. And, uh, and I had my small eight minute clip. And... It was it was very interesting and uh, happily it went it went very well, but it which I did part of the which clip did yeah, you yeah that was the hardest thing ever I had to do <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of conversation a lot of conversation about about what clip to, to choose and uh, arrival <laughs> uh, there's so many great scenes sound scenes but the the rhythm of it made made those scenes quite long yeah. inside an eight minute clip and I really wanted it there to be some some good dialogue, some heptapods. How can you show a clip for Arrival for Sound without having any heptapods there <laughs> and, uh, and music moments? So I, I, I went for a little, you know, a little kind of short story inside the film, which was the, the bomb scene uh, where they go back and uh, the, uh, the soldiers had planted a bomb in the place that blows up. And, and then they, they keep talking afterwards, and this, the, the heptopods are moving away so from the earth. So you get a little bit of explosion in you there get a for, explosion, for yeah, LA sync. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that was also something, because it was definitely not maybe the, the you know, it's not an intergalactic explosion or like a, a planet explosion like, you, like, like a uh -huh. Star Wars had or stuff like that. 
and uh, but still, it's it's just a dynamite explosion that that wasn't in, in there. But I I thought you know for for sound it had it had most of everything, even if it's maybe not my preferred scene or our preferred clip of the film. Anyway, it was it it was uh, nice, but it was really interesting to see how it played compared to everything else that was brought in, and fantastic job from from all those different sound crews everywhere. But it did have a different sound. In, in a way, and I, and I was still very proud of, uh, of how it, it played. But I can assure you when Mark just nudged me on, on my shoulder before the clip started, I was kind of, uh, was one of the most nervous <laughs> playback I had <laughs> in my life. But it's, it played out very well in, in the rest of the story. Yeah. I think we have some maybe specific questions about the the mix or yes. Or let's stuff. go in, let's go into geeky get stuff. Into the nitty gritty. <laughs> let's get down and dirty. So one thing that I noticed when I watched the film is that basically from the point when Amy Adams' character gets to the shell or the spaceship headquarters, the tents outside, uh, throughout the rest of the film, when she's in the shell, there are constantly voices going on in the background in the forms of radio chatter and the communications and their headpieces. Uh, was that all scripted, or did you guys build that as you went? Yeah, uh, not scripted, but it was really uh, that was uh, one of the main goal of, of the sound that we wanted to achieve. But it wasn't script, no. So, I mean, uh, on the script, no. But it was script for the sound. I will say. <laughs> <laughs> How did you go about managing just that raw amount of content? It was very exciting to do so, and I, the, the main concept was to show that they are in a very high pressure moment. The fact that, of course, you're a military, you never uh, get in contact with ET every day. So it's sort of, uh, how are we going to deal with it? So uh, the, Denny was a bit worried about the fact that we need to feel the tension all the time without showing, uh, because he didn't have the, the, the budget to see like big uh, action outside the, the military uh, the site. So we need to feel the tension. But of course, we're still on the base, so military are people who are really uh, tr uh, trained to behave like, you know, uh, sort of being calm and something. They're not panicking. They're not starting to run over all over the place. So I'm, I'm happy that you mentioned that because not a lot of people mention that. that, that there was a lot of different level of communication. Some communication, we, we did ADR for it. Some communication, we, we, we took it in different sound libraries. Some communication we had from other projects. It was a, a mix of a lot of different things. And on, not only the, the voice of communication, but also all the device communication. We did a lot of smaller sound and a certain specific moment. And uh, I remember a fantastic scene when uh, Louise Banks wake up after a dream. And it's like if there is a device that like beep too much in the background that wake her up. So yeah, it was a lot, one of the subtle sound design thing that we was around the film, yes. You know, in some scenes, it became kind of a such a background noise uh, that you could, removing it just made an effect. If you didn't have that, then you can't create the silence in the same way. So it became a, a material to create tension and to, to create contrast and, and also a tool to create some silence sometimes. But sound-wise, it something, it's something that's very dynamic in a way that you can you can bring it in, out, and whether you understand it or not, but it can be like background chatter or it can be specific voices. It was a material just to add color to, as a, as a palette of, of sounds in it to create emotions or tensions. And I don't know, I could see somebody taking that idea and like just creating kind of like a sort of like almost a trashy track that 
is background noise, but it doesn't feel like that. It feels like all of the communication is pertinent to the story, even if you don't really necessarily understand what no, is being course, said. No. That's always uh, the goal, make it, make it useful, purposeful to, to, to the story. Yeah, it was used in many different ways everywhere, um, specifically when the, the first scene, when they go out to, see, to the spaceship, there's this chatter always happening, and the way it plays in and out, and, and when they actually rise up to, to, the, to the ship, you can go quiet with it, mm. and then just have start. But it's never really disturbing because you feel that it's always part of what is being happening there. So you're not, it's not, it's not pulling you away from what is happening. It's it's part of what is happening. But why does it start there? Why why does it stop there? Why all of these things? And there's even that, those were all Sylvain's ideas and uh, uh, that he came up with. And there's actually one character who was completely invented in post, sound post production. Part of the team that is of of the team that is going up had, didn't exist at all in the script but the fact that he's dictating and communicating back to the base everything that's happening is also a, an in interesting idea because there's always someone here that can that can talk and create this communication between the two of them and we had the, the languages also the fact that there is device communication voice communication but with a lot of different languages of course they are in communication with all, all the 12 other, uh, 11 other sites in the world. So of course we see all the screens and everything. There are certain scenes that are obviously to show that. So we had to do in New York a huge session with different uh, session. Darren Fink, I'm sorry if I, Dan Fink, sorry. Sorry Dan for this, uh, <laughs> had to, to, was in charge of all this. Uh, so we had to, of course New York was a better place than Montreal to do so to get the Pakistanis and uh, different languages that we were not easy to get. One of the things, we, we mentioned uh, that few often, but a lot of communication between uh, all the soldiers and the crew in the shell, in their hazmat suit, with the base. Uh, we did a, a huge complex recording. Because we're in an American film with money, we wanted to do something more like, uh, let's say, like organic. So we did, we took all the lines, uh, some production sounds, some ADR, and we pass through those lines to uh, walkie-talkie. So we basically send the sound into a full-range speaker. The sound came out of the speaker, go to the receiver, the receiver uh, send it to a transmitter in the room. The transmitter was projecting the sound to a microphone. So we did that for so, so many lines. And many different devices, different yeah. type of speakers to have uh, some options. <laughs> and then we sampled all of each of these things, we sample them as impulse responses in, in altiverb and with all sorts to be able to change those lines in, in final <laughs> in mix the, later on. And it, 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 it worked. It was a lot of effort, but I mean, it, it worked when we got line changes. We just, it was all well labeled and uh, we knew which device we were using for that specific line. And, and so we had all those inactive tracks in the Proto session, we, each with uh, their own their own presets and uh, of, uh, of harmonics and uh, impulse response CQ and compressors and everything to match what was recorded. And we just had to drop it there, commit using the Pro Tools command commit to, to, to easily get a bounce of it and then reinserted it and it matched. And um, it was a lot of work, but, but it gave colors that we would not have necessarily would have aimed for 
using only the presets that were available in plugins. And, and of course, it, it was just a way of hearing how those things sound in many different ways. And there's one, also one, uh, this is to mention also uh, the fantastic work of Claude Lahaye, production sound mixer of, of the film, the helicopter scene where they talk, where uh, Amy Adams and, uh, and Jeremy Renner, the two characters meet in the helicopter, is all production sound yeah. from the, the real, real helicopter uh, communication tool that, that Claude Lahaye chipped in. And we tried to do something different, but never worked. <laughs> we we tried to to either mix, you know, the boom to it and da da da. And no, no, we kept the, the, the and that's... you can hear all sorts of buzz and things happening, which is the, from the real thing. But then we also wanted fully uh, when he one time Jeremy Renner just bends down and gets his papers out, and so we recreated kind of a sound of, of what it would have sound like if it had gone through this microphone. But that was another way of using readily available real sounding things instead of recreating it works let's keep it why why reinvent stuff if if, if it exists and it's also interesting because all those communication bring the concept of the voice the fact that the the first emotions come with the actors and one of the things come with the voice and the voice will always remain such a cool thing to hear. So as soon as you take the voice into a device, whatever is it, organic or you know, real device or plugins, the emotion can go to so many directions. And it's on every film it's like that. So in Arrival was such a, a cool thing to do. And it wasn't that complicated. As soon as you get the voice transformed, you just bring your fader in and then there's an emotion right away. And that and it's, I mean, I'm always touched by that. One of the most important films in the history of sound design is con the conversation by Coppola in the 70s. And it's only about that. It's why this film really shocked the people on a, such a good way. It's like all those voices are going through devices. When the, f the first scene on the conversation, I think there is a witch square in New York, but that you see those characters and you see like this microphone trying to reach them. And you hear all those voices. Oh my goodness! I mean, I, the, the the how do you start a film? So it's 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 coming back to a very old culture of just voices, and it's just beautiful. You know, so. I I, I mentioned uh, impulse response and alti verb, but to go more on the geeky side of things, the when when Louise Banks first the the character Louise Banks first comes out of the tent to to go meet the. Uh, She's overwhelmed. They are all overwhelmed. There's, she's a like university teacher, and then it suddenly becomes in the middle of an army base and going to see, meet aliens. And she's wearing this huge orange suit with uh, with breathing apparatus and stuff, and surrounded by helicopters. So it's completely overwhelming, and and we really wanted to get that feeling out. And uh, the uh, the French Foley team did some great impulse response of this, the hazmat suit, the actual hazmat suit. And uh, so what we did for that scene is we mixed it as if it would have been a full mix, straight, you know, standard perspective. And I, I just put some altiverbs on, on the ma main master of everything and just went wet dry into those, those things. So the whole, whole sound of it just sounded as if you're in, in this bubble and with having the breathing. Her, her breathing really up front, you, you really like 
kind of have a, this claustrophobic, completely blurred vision, and that's also visually what we get from from her POV sometimes, and blurred sound of of what's happening around her, and and uh, that tool uh, was uh, amazing uh, to create this kind of uh, sound effect using all the whole mix of the whole track just blending it completely messing it up completely using that it was tools. really exciting it was really fun just a cool moment and it, that wasn't i think one of the most important things we've done with the film that and denis was happy in a, in a second with that and it, the, just that the camera you know just turned like this and there is no specific it's not that obvious that you can do something like that and i we did it and it was like then he was happy in a second, so it was a great moment. You were talking about how uh, the music was composed somewhere else by a different team, and uh, the, the shells were designed by one person, and the foley is done by another person, and uh, so you, you kind of your job is to corral all this material um, into one place. And the one thing that I was thinking about when I watched the film was like how, um, especially in a science fiction movie, I guess, uh, low end plays such an important part of the experience of the film. Because I found like even though there was uh, all the different elements, they blend together so well. And we talked about this in, a, in another conversation about how the, the music and the sound effects sort of streams like come together and at a certain point you're not really sure which one is which, but you still mm. have a very distinct sense of like that's the sonic profile of the music and that's the sonic mm. profile mm -hmm. and it doesn't get muddy and that's kind of I'm like how do you do that <laughs> that's the kind of thing that kind of um, well, seems like a big challenge yes it is it's part of the mixing challenge to to make sure that that nobody steps on each other's feet and uh, that everybody say what they have to say uh, clearly and, and felt and understood in that way so that's that's part of the challenge but um i think sylvain and i worked a lot on in making sure that let's say the helicopter scene when they arrive to the to the to the camp there there was some work needed there specifically for this reason because music was was in a frequency range that was similar to what the helicopters were. So we had to work and make sure in making sure that the music was not blurred out and that we still had a feeling of the helicopter without just having to push a helicopter louder. So it's a, it's a sculpting work in frequency ranges and, and, and trying to, to, to make sure that everybody complements each other in, in, in it. I think it's mostly a feeling and a listening and and trying to understand what part of the sound is actually the useful part of it and what is not necessary in this sound. No point in adding bass if there's already huge bass in the music. And um, and, uh, and the opposite is true. Sometimes if if something needs to, to happen, if the, the ship starts moving and, and the whole the wonderful sounds of rocks and 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 tumbling rocks and ha we it had to be felt uh, in every way then adding music on top of that might have blurred the little details that made that sound so powerful and uh, so sometimes it's music has to give sometimes the effects have to give and but hopefully everybody works together and and we get to to play everything in a way that 
that everything is being complemented. But it's a very, very fine line into what comes out in the mix as, as the main emotional lead in, in a certain moment. And this, this drive from the, from the base to the spaceship, the whole thing is a is a up and down, slightly up, slightly down. Just the effects that I was talking about, the the altiverb thing. You have to get out of it at some point. How do you get out of it without hearing just you know? And that that's a like going into some foley sound, just putting up a foley sound and music and something, and just covering up whoop a shift in something, and then you go back into into another music line, but. The, the Johansson's music was absolutely wonderful for it because it was it was not a, this constant thing. It had it had pulses. It has so in between those pulses, you can do whatever you wanted. It gives room for everybody to speak and not no, not step on top of each other. Yeah, and I think that's a, like a common complaint about score is that it's well like it kind of wallpapers over everything and it ignores the aspect of timing. Mm -hmm. that gives each element its particular moment. Because it's, it wasn't an orchestral music, you know, uh, so it, it was different. It was more like a vibration, ancient, pagan music, sort of using weird instruments. So, But to go back, I really like, I'm really happy with your question because personally, uh, Bernard and I, we did a lot of film together. And I think, for me, I, when I try to do films, in a way, I think I'm going back to a fantastic statement by Quincy Jones, used to say, if you want to have a hit, you need to see your spectrum analyzer full. <laughs> and I, 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 I'm, I'm, I think I, it's, I'm always like that to try, okay, how can we make sure that all the frequency that exists in the world can be <laughs> shown in the scene? And of course, it doesn't work like that, but like uh, the heptapod, for instance, uh, with Dave, uh, Dave, you really use the low end for the heptapod, of course, there big and fat and the low end was very important for the heptapod. So one of the challenges was the heptapod but were talking while they were sending the ink to the glass mirror. So of course one of the base thing is to say okay they're gonna use the low hand so the ink does have to sound different. So we were trying to make all those range different. So I mean those things happen on every films but is the same with dialogue sometimes. I mean, uh, that's the, the, the challenge of every mix. But those things were, okay, we knew that everybody has his place. And what I really like, I'm really happy with the result, is that at the end of the day, the heptapod take their voices like as loud, but the ink is there. And, and the ink was so complicated to do. It doesn't look like that, it doesn't sound like that. The sound is so simple. But my goodness, the step we had that started in Paris, transforming Montreal, coming from different sources. I think 10 people work on that thing. <laughs> and it was so simple. There is nothing in that thing. They're so particular. So uh, Mimi Allard, uh, one, a very good friend, and it, who was the FX editor during the mix, she worked like for three weeks all over the time. Over because the she age. had to match the VFX changes and, and all because the time. Because of course, and, and there's a certain scene there's at the end when Louise Banks is with Costello, forget, or what? Abbott, okay. Abbott yeah, whatever, or whatever. One of the heptapod. <laughs> so it's like freaking all over the game, all yeah. over the place. So it's like there is hink all over the There's place. Thousands so it had of to, them, yeah. All those snitches all over the place. So it's uh, the goal of every film to make sure that you have a nice range of all over the place. But 
Yeah. It's coming back to an orchestra. When you're going to a stage to listen to 100 musicians playing at the same time, it's been one of the quests of all the great composers of the 19th centuries and everything. How can I make that fit perfect? And it's, you really dig their head, they try to... It, it's, it's, one, it's one task of, of mixing that I find very interesting, is making sure that the best of every idea is being brought out, and sometimes you have to shave off whatever is not necessary to make sure that you're not just piling up stuff one over the other and, and clogging everything up. And, and this is how you get eventually to have a clear sound of, of you know, and you, you get the best of everything out because everyone is contributing in, in the best way they can and not, you know, hissing or booming away some other stuff. And it's like I said, it's a sculpt, sculpture thing and, and, and it's finding each, uh, the way of for, for each thing to be playing the best they can. You see that in, in certain war films, like we had a huge example, Hawksaw Ridge with Kevin O'Connell and, and uh, Bob McKenzie, his name, I forgot his name. They but the they, they got the MPSC award and they got the mix for the Oscars. And they, there's certain uh, battle scene, uh, everything is in details. You hear everything. You mm. hear the, you know, the bullet at this time, the punches at the time, this little thing there, and it's a fantastic <laughs> collection of that. That's an amazing work. It doesn't of, come natural. Oh, <laughs> there's hours and hours and hours. And how can you work. make like 10,000 sounds at the same time and have being out there? First of all, their frequency spot, but also their location spot on the screen because you're still playing, okay, I'm going to have a sound here, a sound there, a sound there. And it's, it's fantastic. I really, it's, it's architectures. It's architectures. This is one of the beauty with, I would like to do a big, with you, a big <laughs> war movie one day, like bullets everywhere. I'm, I'm not because we made a lot of quiet films together also. <laughs> <laughs> but having this, and I, 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 I'm not necessarily a fan of Axarius as a film, but I was tremendously shocked about what they, the work they did with sound, how to place everything in, the, in such a detail. It's there, were, there were fantastic soundtracks. And, and we had a good time with them also. <laughs> there were fantastic soundtracks last year of, of all sorts, and it's always, it's always fun to meet and hear stuff. Um, Deepwater Horizon had this oh, build-up from, you know, destroying place, build-up for an hour long. How... how how much destruction can you get uh, from sound? And I, and I listened to that in, on an airplane. I was not even enjoying the full dynamic thing, but, but you could feel everything. And that's also part of sound sculpture and, and creating things and, you know, toying with uh, the frequency and dynamics know, the, and everything. It's The it's scene when the, the, the station, uh, the, when the, the platform, mm -hmm. we'll say, mm -hmm. will explode just before that. Mm. When we see, we, we see all the change of the explosion from yeah. water. I mean, this is Ari Cohen and Willie Stateman. They're fantastic guys and they, I really like them. That they, Wally was talking about when he did uh, Kill Bill about how he had every, every sword had different sound. You know, it was like... They're, they're fantastic to listen. Let's not talk about specific sounds for a second, and maybe let's just talk about kind of the overall process. What was the schedule like on this film? Did you guys get on it really early in the process? Uh, it's complicated because Dave started way before us, Dave Whitehead and Michel Child, way, way before us. But we started on February 1st, and the mix was supposed to be April 1st. Oh but finally, we pushed uh, mixed a bit, but we started mixing at the second end of week, April. Sec second week of April, something like that, we started pre -dubbing. So it was 
super crazy, super, super nuts. I was like nervous 24-7. I thought it were like, it's going to be so dangerous to do that. And for the first time doing a film like that, having such a small period of time. But fortunately, they was started way before. And we had a lot of sound from LA, from Alan Murray. So, but still, it was like crazy. We had to be, uh, it was a crazy schedule. And there were some key parts that were absolutely all to be created. Everything related to the spaceship was to be created uh, from scratch. There were no basis for, for this. So there was some naturalistic basis that was there and the heptapods were there. But uh, the heptapods' voices only were there, so the, the rest of it, everything, all of the no, sound design. It was massive. Out. And also to bring all this together, to make it as a piece, and it was, it was our first experience. Like for me, I never, it was the first time that I, I was only a sound supervisor. I always do sound design, effects editing, at the same time of being a supervisor. But of course, when you work on a one million, two million Canadian dollar film, we're not talking about a 50 million US film. So it's a, I, uh, and so it was, for me, it was the first time that I had to do this, you know, conductor, making things together and also had to, there's a lot of people to talk to. There's a lot of, everybody has his, also his own ego in, into this and it's normal. So it's complicated to say to somebody, okay, you doing, you have to do it like this, not like this. I know that you like this part, but it's not the way we have to do it. So it was like, so uh, for me was, uh, my goodness, I, I think I lost so many pounds in it. I, <laughs> the summer after that, I was totally smashed. So. And what was the schedule on the mix stage? Uh, it started off well and ended up more complicated. We started off pre-dubbing in two different stages. Um, with also uh, offsetted timeline so that Joe Walker, uh, the picture editor, could come, could be partly in the dialogue, uh, dialogue pre-dubs and then be partly with uh, the effects pre-dubs that I was doing uh, in a different stage. And so we spend a good, uh, good, like eight days maybe in pre-dubbing uh, in two different stages. And then we got to final, um, Denis, Denis and Joe at the beginning of the final were not available. They were they were screening the films, uh, test screening the films in LA. So we were uh, we were two mixers on, on on the project, and after a week of final mixing, nobody had heard whatever what we had done yet. Uh, my colleague Luc Boudria uh, unfortunately unfortunately had to leave the 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 show for personal reasons. And uh, then it became more complicated to handle uh, everything uh, on my own. But and then when Denis came back and Joe came back, um, they were very enthusiastic about the work. But there were still things to be to be fixed. So then the long hours and long weeks started uh, off. And um, I think we wrapped it up two, three weeks in all after of finaling. But between 12 and 20 hour days, seven days a week. For, and then we had a small break for after the first pass of the final mixing because VFX were not quite done, finished yet. So we had a few weeks break and then we came back for two, three days after just to fine tune uh, everything. All with the VFX. All with the, the final VFX. The, the, the ink. <laughs> the, the inks, the all little things, but yeah. but allowed us to give a, a second polishing pass over everything. And uh, I think you did. Uh, we did uh, roughly forty-five days. 
if we not calendar wise, but if we put like uh, everything hours, together. every hours, uh, if dividing it in eight hour days, maybe the equivalent. Of <laughs> I think we can say that. But one night we had to we had a screening with all the producer from LA, and we were like late. It was we had so many different problems, uh, mixing for different reasons. It was a new console. We can't think we can well, say yeah, it. Well, yeah, it was a new console in the studio. Yeah. So, so it was, and Bernard did a fantastic work to get used to the board. But of course, it's not easy to, in a click, so there's always problem. And we had the screening, it was at 10 a.m. in the morning. And I think Bernard and I, we, st Bernard stayed, I think, until 5, 5 a.m. and I stayed until like 3 a.m. maybe that night. And it was like, I had I had a fader that a fader that stopped working, and it, that that was kind of bugging for me because you know it, you it, you know randomly it's it's always the sound you need that's on that fader, so at one point it was like three four a.m. and I thought okay well that thing is supposed to be plug and play, so all those different module modules of the S six so I just unplugged the the, the fader module <laughs> took a took another one that was freed up on the other console, plugged it in. And of course, it was not that simple. So instead of losing one fader, I lost eight fader because when I tried to plug the other one back, it didn't work anymore. So I had this hole of eight faders in, in front of me that that was, and then all the fixes the next days with uh, all producers, I had to skip over eight faders and trying to 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 keep. It's like having a huge rock in the shoe. It's okay, after, you after, look after, really busy yeah, banking after away. Two, two, with, two, with two hours. I think of you sleep. had one thousand track. <laughs> <laughs> like that. I, yeah. I, it was fascinating. I never saw that before. 1,000 track in how many fitters? Well, 30, 32 I, I had, but, 32? but that, that's the beauty. Yeah, that's the beauty of, of what is of what Pro Tools has become. And, but it evolved in a way that with the S6 and, and the way Pro Tools is evolving, you can now have as many, as much, almost, you know, it's, it's almost seamless to have many, many, many tracks available and on separate workstations and and it's, you almost don't know on which workstation you're working on since it's all merging up together there and it's it's a really powerful tool now and uh, it felt easy to handle as much that and and this is not counting also many pre-dubs that were inactive that I use uh, commit as a, as a way to to be able to to fold down pre-dubs and have those tracks disappear from the the load of the system, and then easily being able to bring it back in, and uh, and do fixes in the, in those pre-dubs, and uh, no, it was it was technologically it was great. I feel like with some mixed teams or you know teams of people who work at this end, uh, there's like the people who don't want to change and then there's somebody in the team who's like no we should start thinking about it this way or you should you know start using this plugin or whatever yeah. and then you know you sound like you're more of a mixer who's like i want to i'm comfortable changing things i'm comfortable yes. but it with a purpose yeah, it, it needs yeah. yeah i i my my approach is you have to know everything that comes out and if somebody says oh this tool is amazing Okay, well, I'm I'm gonna try it out and and use it, but um, but never forget the 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 out goal of it, and because it's so easy to to get lost into the the techno geeky things of of how things are evolving and and 
just simply how a plugin looks it, it influences people uh, and in thinking oh wow this sounds great does it really what does it do different you know in the in the re and there's so many like demos on youtube that people are referring to and you're looking at it and the thing is actually not working like the, and it's it's there's it's so hard to to decipher what's actually uh, what's actually actual benefits compared to to what's just gimmicky marketing stuff around so so i'm really trying to to be as critic as possible but keep an open minded in things and and never forget why things were made in a way i'm actually working on a, on an ongoing project of restoring old films now and of course they're mostly all mono films but it's uh it's really a good learning uh process into what's necessary to get a story out and when you see how efficiently things can can be done using one channel you know with crappy sound but emotionally story-wise things are coming through super great then it, it brings uh, all those things in perspective and really do you actually need that tool to make your story go through and keeping a perspective on on how things were done and how you you mentioned the con the conversation and boy they they not have the same tools as we have today and it's still regarded as a great sounding sounding um, film you have to be original and that mean you have to go and take the sound specifically on the field and not trying to pass through different plugs because at the end of the day everything sounds the same we had a conversation uh, bernard and i about speakerphone which is a fantastic plugs for a lot of device communication that everybody uses. and one day i remember coming here and i i discovered the tool and i was like exciting and everything and using it and bernard said i hate it it's it's all sound the same and i said no no it's good it's gonna be a conversation and bernard said I, I'm going to create my myself. It's, he's right, you know. We have to go back to those things, you know. If you listen to Apocalypse Now, the, the first scene when Martin Sheen is in his, in his uh, hotel room and you see the famous blade uh, over his head, the sound of that blade, my goodness, it's so unique because it's coming back from the sources. You, you, and we tried to did that on Arrival to make it everything, you know, organic and and, and different, and at the end of the day, of course you transform the sound, of course you transform the sound, but you need a, a very good sources. You have to be very careful with plugs. In a way, plugs have to be used as a, as a sound as itself. I think we have to go into the plug and move it and everything and shake it. Mark Mangini, this is exactly how he works in Los Angeles. I had the chance to spend a few hours with him in his studio while he was doing Blade Runner, and Mark is like, yeah, like you just mix the, the, the plugs. You take a plugs, do another plugs, another plugs, another plugs. At the end of the day, he doesn't remember what he was doing. He's like, everything is like completely like overwhelmed and mixing and everything. But that thing, if you want to try to have a unique thing, you really have to, to work it out and make it, you know, at the end of the day, because at the end of the day, everything sounds the same. Everything, you know, that's why. I mean, a lot of people work like that, but it's, it's one of the challenges, I think. I had a film that was in the that was playing in the 60s and I had 
our old engineer that's here that was here for 40 years in this building for a long time and i ha had him build a an am radio with a wire as an antenna and i used that as a plug-in uh, and it was incredible because i could detune retune and the way i the wire was bringing closer further away it gave a sound that no plugin can 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 have and and it's the best way for to to for me to to have a unique sound and not reuse something every time is is to to get a, a completely new tool that actually close to the, to the real thing and um, for a film there was a a band playing on the next floor on top so i had we had this broken subwoofer that was still playing but you know had cracked cracks in it i just put the bass uh, the bass track in it and just put some glasses and wood piece on top of it recorded those things vibrating and they would each vibrate at a different frequency and you just put that now in the room after with the band playing on top so you re really feel like the frame is vibrating at this frequency and the, the rest of it is at that frequency and and it creates harmonics in a way that it's impossible to recreate and um, well, the lo-fi plugin will just not recreate that, and it's something I'm, I'm, you know, when I listen to to things and I see, oh, well, that's, you know, just noticing the lo-fi plugin in 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 soundtracks is now becoming, you know, it's, oh, you know, I mean, there are some great tools that can be used very well, and I'm using a lot of them, and uh, but you just have to find, you know, the beyond beyond the, the the plug in what is the sound of it and how is this is it really the best sound you can have is it the best way you can produce sound for for specific things and find the right tool for it yeah i like the idea in your process too of like um i don't know i find like when you're working at a workstation and you're in your plugins like you're I've, you can almost feel your brain congealing and uh the idea of getting up and building it or like you're talking about when you were miking the, the suits and stuff or, or playing the sounds in Arrival, the, the calm sounds mm -hmm. through different speakers and stuff like that. Like getting up out of your chair, doing stuff, being active, it kind of wakes you up in a way. Going back to sound, going back to sound and away from, away from, from processing at some point. And the visual aspect of looking at the screen all the time, I find it's like and really going back you. to microphones, because if the way you record your thing, it's changed so much. Like, it's a fantastic how you, you can do something with when you just record. That's going to be so difficult to do so. And even in mixing room, there is some way to <laughs> bring your microphone in a certain level, at a certain position, certain angle, certain things. And it's so tough to re recreate that, because you can have a unique thing. And it's fantastic. It's like put the mic, you know, under this couch and, and make sound on the couch, you might have something that will happen that, oh my goodness. You have to get out of the box sometimes. <laughs> some point. I mean, the box is, I wouldn't think of mixing in another way, any other way, but never forget uh, the real life and real things and always play with sound because otherwise you're, gonna, you're going to lock yourself into into something that you're not noticing but you're getting locked into some sonic signature that that is hard to get out of because there is no limit with with sound because there is no structure like in music in a way we have a we have to there is a, a structure in music uh, uh, occidental music i will talk about but 
in, with sound as itself, with sound design and, and so with sound mixing at the end. We can, you can produce things that there is no limit. And it's fascinating for that. I really like this, this field where there's a lot of anarchy in a way, <laughs> you know. I just want to kind of pause this talk for a second to just mention how great it is to hear you guys talk about sound with such passion. It's really cool to hear because not only were you guys working on this film that ended up being creme de la creme, top-notch, award-winning stuff, but you guys seem to be having fun along the way as well. But we're having fun goal. also together. So yeah. we, we, we did a... And we have to say that during Arrival, we really connected also with, with conversation a lot of time. Bernard was so helpful because Bernard is fantastic for one thing. Just one thing, right? One thing. <laughs> Just one thing. <laughs> he, can, he can drive a car perfectly, <laughs> but also he can be the, the, the mechanician and the, the engineer. I we oh, he can be the pilot and the... The pilot and the, and the mechanician. Yeah, and, and, the, and uh, the engineer. The, the engineer. And it's it's is is really that I think it probably is probably will can be the best technician you can get and the best recording mixer you can get. It's really tough to beat on that. Usually, there's one or the other. It, it, I mean, which is normal, you know. So it's it's, uh, it's a it's a at the end of the day, how can you combine technology and art? This is the the main goal when we do that, and with a lot of different today with computers, we're totally in it like we've never been before. How can you be a good geek and a good artist? Because there's something sometimes that doesn't connect. Uh, I was listening to your interview with uh, Mark Mangini and he, the way he said that some technician was something that, he, that was hurtful for him to hear. And, and it's true in a way, but we are, we have to be geeks at some point but we have to be artists uh, using it because yeah. otherwise if you're only technical, like you said earlier, and, and Sylvain is, is, a, is an artist in, in itself, sound-wise. He's got an imagination and, and a feel for what can create sound and what can be pulled out of sounds. That impresses me every time. The way he, he, he comes up with sounds I would never have thought of. And it, it always gives an interesting signature. And during Arrival, I have this image when we were recording all those devices with ADR li lines. And the session was going at, at an end, you know, we were finishing it. And he stayed in the booth and the Pro Tools was recording and he was just playing with stuff. And we were, at first it started off by trying to give like, uh, like uh, breaths into microphone, which is something you never have when you, you ADR people for, uh, for devices like that. So we, he was recording all sorts of things. Then he just stayed there and started playing with the tools, detuning stuff, create feedbacks and all. And we were all chatting in the other room and I was looking at him, he's alone in his, like, <laughs> in his bubble there. But he created some amazing sound that are in the film that are absolutely fantastic, almost out, you know, off-worldly sound, but based exactly, he was using those communication tools. So then you have a sonic signature that you're hearing throughout the film because it's part of, of a communication that that we're using, but it's it, there. There are sounds that have n absolutely no purpose, but they're Im they're weird. They're, and this is just playing and toying and and uh, being creative and imaginative with sounds. And Sylvain is always coming up with uh, incredible stuff. Hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> you have to do even if people will start to laugh in the mixing room about you, what you try to do. Even if directors will look at you and say. Oh my goodness, my goodness, this is not right at all. I prefer to have somebody who say, you're totally wrong. 
than somebody who say nothing. Because if you're wrong, because you bring something, you have to, of course, you have to come back. You have to be, it's complicated sometimes on a kind of a psychological level. But you have to try things. You have to try. Even on a very, like, regular film, you never know what will happen. Sound is a perfect world for going to open doors that the image can do, I think. One thing that I would love, and I don't think it's possible, but the 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 the, the uh, an, an incredible thing that I would love to hear at one point is like a scene of a film, and taking ten sound crews, different sound yeah. crews, and and creating of sounds course. forever, and then we all have this party where we, li <laughs> we listen to this ten ten minute clip with all our different views, with all our different backgrounds and cultures, and and you take from ten crews from around the world and create that and then I mean we could talk around that and and for for days I'm sure and that's the power of it is the same scene it's just different views different backgrounds different cultures and that would be so amazing well, let's figure it out let's make it happen <laughs> make it happen <laughs> guys I just want to say thank you very much for sitting down with Teresa and I today and giving us a tour of this great facility and letting us sit in this amazing mix room while we have this talk I really appreciate you guys making the time for us, and uh, hopefully we can do it again someday. Thank you Thank for you. your interest. Thank you for uh, your interest. Yeah. And, and flying all the way to Montreal. Thanks to Tim and Teresa for going to Montreal, conducting the interview. It's awesome. Thanks to Stacey Dupas for letting us bend and twist her voice on our bumpers. You can follow the show at The Tone Benders and go to ToneBendersPodcast.com to leave a comment. Big thanks to Nathan Moody, a.k.a. Noise Jockey. Nathan did the primary edit of the interview on this one. Uh, Nathan's a sound designer, musician, and mastering engineer from Northern California. He's been a recording musician since 1997. He's run his Noise Jockey blog since 2008 and has spent the last 10 years creating sound design for interactive installations. You can check out his sound design and audio editing work at noisejockey.net and his music at nathanmoody.bandcamp.com. And Nathan's also a buddy of mine. <laughs> Yeah, Nathan's a great guy. It's kind of weird because he's someone that I've always wanted to have as a guest on the show, and now he's helping us out with it, which is kind of a cool twist. I will get him on here eventually, yeah. for sure. Thanks for listening to Tone Feathers. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you listen on iTunes or Stitcher, please write us a review while you're there. To support the show, go to ToneVendorsPodcast.com and click through our Amazon link or leave us a tip. You can also download and listen to our entire show archive there and leave a comment on our site or on SoundCloud. Keep up to date by following at the Tone Vendors on Twitter or find Tone Vendors Podcast on Facebook and YouTube. Email us with your questions and ideas at info at tonevendorspodcast.com.